Well, again, a welcome to everyone here. And as you came in the room today, you would have received two or three pieces of paper. I just want to draw your attention this morning to our Connect card and specifically to our prayer card. We have plenty of these in the back of the room on the host table. In a few minutes when we collect the offering and the basket comes by, if you're a guest with us this morning, feel free to let that basket just pass you on by because the service is our gift to you, God's gift to you. But also feel free to take advantage of the opportunity to drop one of these cards in that basket. And the first one is the Connect card, where if you'd like to be connected with us and hear from us on a weekly basis, just drop a name and an email and even a cell number on there and put that in the basket. And also as you have prayer concerns each week, feel free to fill those out just with a name or email actually, and then sort of the substance of your prayer need, drop that in the basket. And then we've got folks who are praying behind the scenes for us every single day. So the basket is a place to have those pieces go in. And then also lastly, an I'm ready to serve card. If you're feeling God calling you forward to serve according to your gifts in a specific role here at South Naperville, just let us know a little bit about what your giftedness looks like. And also feel free to drop that in the basket as well. Well, as Vendetta introduced our message time this morning, uh, we are in the second week of our Storyteller series. And if you were here last week, you got a double dose of Pastor Mark. And by the way, Pastor Mark, if you're listening to the podcast this morning, thank you for being here, double dose. He was here both in video and also in person to close out the worship service. So we're very grateful that he was here. And Heather and the kids and I were traveling to the Dominican Republic. So we were suffering on the beaches of the Dominican Republic, thinking and praying for you as you were worshiping here in Illinois, basking in the sunlight, making a sacrifice for the body of Christ out on the beach. And really what we were doing is conducting a wedding for Heather's sister, Carissa. So it gave us a reason to go to the Dominican Republic, which we've never been to before. So we missed you guys, but just a little bit. We were on the beach and just enjoying it, but we were praying that God's presence was with you here as you started our Storyteller series. Well, the Storyteller series is really this in a nutshell. What it is, is it's a, a snapshot of several of, of Jesus's parables. Jesus liked to tell stories. Whenever someone would ask him a pointed question or try to paint him into a corner to catch him doing something wrong, Jesus would often answer them with a cryptic story called a parable. And a parable is simply this. A parable is a story that has enough truth in it and enough reality in it to gather your attention, to grab you into the story. But then as your attention is locked into that story, there's a strange and fantastical twist that comes. And the twist is always given in such a way that it speaks to your soul. So parables are designed to grab your attention and to speak to your soul. And specifically, what we have to do when we're studying parables is we have to look back in time and we have to discover what it was the people in those days would have heard when Jesus was telling a story. And so as we heard Stephanie read the story today uh, of the rich fool, and she asked a couple of pointed questions. Have you ever known someone who was rich? We all do. You ever known someone who was foolish? Uh, we all do. And in some cases, we have been those people, depending on the circumstances. But today we're going to talk about somebody who was both rich and foolish at the same time. And perhaps he didn't even know it. Jorge, if you wouldn't mind advancing. 
So the crux of the story has Jesus kind of painted into an interesting question. As we read the beginning of the story, uh, the story says that a crowd of people had gathered and there were many thousands of them around him. And Jesus was teaching to them and he was warning them about different kinds of, of issues and adversity they would face as, uh, as they would go out and share the good news of Jesus. And all of a sudden, randomly out of left field, this guy asks a question that's kind of perplexing to us unless we understand the historical context. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus is talking about the spreading kingdom of God. And be aware that these, this adversity is coming. These challenges are coming to you. And things are about to get difficult and rough out there as you share the good news of the kingdom. And then out of nowhere, this guy yells this, this, this statement to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The reason he said that is because the guy misunderstood Jesus' role. You see, Jesus could have been seen as a judge of sorts. He was called teacher, but in the original language, that was rabbi. And a rabbi had a dual role. A rabbi functioned kind of like a priest or a pastor, but rabbis were also charged with being able to discern the law. So it's kind of like you've got to judge Judy along with your pastor in a, in a two-in-one arrangement where if there was a legal dispute, if you ran into your rabbi out in the temple courts, you could have your rabbi render judgment on something right there on the spot. You didn't have to go to court. You didn't have to pay court fees or hire a lawyer. You could just go right to the rabbi because the rabbi was a lawyer. And so this guy was coming up to Jesus and he had this family dispute where his father had died and there was another brother in the picture and the way the law works is that when kids inherit an estate it's a little bit differently than the way it works these days. The whole estate was put in a package and it was inherited by the family all together, the kids all together. But there was a catch. The oldest brother was due a double portion of the estate that the rest of the kids would get when a parent would pass away. So let me ask you a math question. If there are two brothers in the family, how many portions of the estate are there? I hear some, I hear some threes, I hear some twos. Any others? There were three portions, right? So the eldest brother would have gotten a double portion and the younger brother would have got a single portion. Now we don't know which brother this was. It doesn't really say. We don't know if it was the older one due a double portion and the younger brother had kept some. We don't know if this was the younger brother and the older brother was hoarding some. But what we believe is true is that the estate mostly had to do with land. So these guys were in a dispute about how much land they were going to inherit from their father. And this guy was coming up and he was wanting, to Jesus, he was wanting Jesus to take a departure from his agenda where Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God and how it spreads and how it moves and multiplies amongst us, right? This guy was wanting to take Jesus on a departure where he was wanting to use Jesus to render a legal judgment in a dispute over land. Now this is weird because the same kind of thing tends to happen today, doesn't it? Sometimes we tend to want to use Jesus to do things for us 
that Jesus never came to do. Maybe it's the kind of prayer we pray that says, Jesus, take care of this situation for me, when in fact it's something that I need to be doing. Or God, give me this thing or this stuff or this opportunity, when in fact he's already given us the ability to have those things, and we just don't recognize that with gratefulness to him. Sometimes we're tempted to use Jesus the way this guy was. And here, in fact, is how Jesus responds. Instead of simply outright rebuking the guy, he does like Jesus does. He tells a story. And the story he tells has to do with this rich fool, this rich man who's about to inherit um, or who's about to, to expand his estate that he's got all these barns filled with grain. He's telling this story to a man who's about to inherit some land. But the man wants Jesus to be Judge Judy. The man wants Jesus to make a rendering right there on the spot. And he really wants the guy, he really wants Jesus to render in his favor. Isn't that clear when you read the scripture? He wants Jesus to do something for him. And in fact, what happens is Jesus turns the tide on the, the man's uh, predisposition toward him and begins to teach him about what we call the abundant life. He uses the story of the rich fool to teach an abundance concept. Look at what Jesus says in the scripture. If you have your Bible handy or if you have your U version handy, Jesus tells the story by a preamble with a preamble like this. He says, man who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So Jesus deals directly with this idea of abundance. And what does it take to have an abundant life? The guy who's taking him to task and asking him to be a judge thinks that an abundant life has to do with the gathering of possessions. In this case, we believe it to be land. The more I can get from this opportunity, the better off I'm going to be. But when Jesus drops this story on him, he actually begins to teach him about what real abundant life is. He shares this idea that abundance is not about possessions. And the reason we're talking about the abundant life is because it's the same kind of life that Jesus came to die for. It's the same kind of life that Jesus rose from the dead for. You see, the good news of Jesus not only deals with Jesus dying on the cross, but the backside of that story is that Jesus rose again and he had a new life, right? That new life is not just for Jesus. That new life is for you and for me. And in the church, we call it an abundant life. Here's where that comes from. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters the kingdom of God by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, us, may have life and have it how? Abundantly. Not that we're here to have life by the very skin of our teeth. Not that we're to have life by just getting by on a daily basis, just making it. Not that we're here to have life where life is scarcity, but to have a life that is abundant. And in this moment, Jesus is teaching that that abundance is not about physical things. It's not about income. 
It's not about career opportunity. It's not about to the, 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 the man that he's talking to. It's not about the amount of land you own. Abundance is a matter of the heart. And here's how that works. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, this idea, this imagery comes from shepherding. Back then, if you were a shepherd, you could use a sheep stall to hold your sheep overnight. And mainly the goal of that would be for protection. You would protect the sheep from what? Wolves and other predators, right? But the thing about the sheep pens back then is they didn't have doors. If you keep your toddler or your dog or your cat in a pen, the pen usually has a door. It usually has a way for that, that person or that animal to get in or out of the pen. Back then, the sheep pen didn't have a door. And literally what would happen was the shepherd would herd all the sheep into the pen and then the shepherd would lay down his life around the door so that the sheep could not get out to where the predators were and the predators would be afraid enough not to get in to where the sheep were. Jesus literally lays down his life for you and me as sheep of the flock to protect us and to provide for us. He says this is how the kingdom of God is. So when we enter the kingdom of God through that door, through that gate that is Jesus, living every day in Jesus and under his protection is an abundant life. That is the life to which we were called and reborn when we came into the kingdom of God. The Bible says the old us dies and a new us is what? Reborn. We are reborn to a new life where we live under the protection and the leadership of our Savior and our sacrifice, Jesus. He lays down his life to the gate of our life and makes the gate of our life functional by himself, by who he is, by how he leads and what he does. Jesus is alive today. We can say that Jesus was alive and that Jesus did walk around on the earth, but Jesus is alive. And so we, when we live in an abundant life, we're actually living in Jesus and following him every day. Now, the man in the story had a different dynamic in his life. He had a bit of a conundrum in front of him. He was making so much grain, his grain business was producing so much grain that he didn't have barns big enough to keep his grain. And in the story, the conundrum was he had to figure out what to do with the surplus or the excess of his grain. And so he had figured out to himself, I'm just simply going to build bigger barns and put more grain in my barns. But if you look back at the story, if you have the scriptures in front of you and look back at the story, Here's exactly what he says to himself. He says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Lay around on the beach. Eat, drink, and be merry. I got a little taste of that last week. 
in an all-inclusive resort, all you get to do is just eat, drink, and be merry. And I was thinking about this guy in the story as I was laying poolside. This is what the man was tempted with. And in fact, the only one he took up counsel with in regards to whether to enter into that kind of life was who? Himself. He decided himself that he was going to eat, drink, and be merry, lay by the poolside, and spend his excess wealth. He wasn't living inside the sheep pen, protected by Jesus, as it were, as a part of the kingdom of God. He, in that moment, had become his own God. He'd begun to give himself counsel that God wanted to give him about how his life was to be. He had robbed himself of the opportunity of an abundant life. Here's how we know that. Back in that culture, men had more time on their hands than they do these days. Ladies did too, and so did kids. And in fact, when people would get together, they would get together every single day and they would help decide things with each other. It's as if they went to Starbucks every day and when they were faced with getting a new uh, insurance policy between, say, State Farm and Allstate. They would talk about the differences between the two things, the pros and cons, and they would help somebody decide something as a community. So men would gather at the city gates and they would get together and they would talk for hours about things that were happening in their lives. Kind of like a snapshot of what you did when you circled up and did debrief earlier. But the difference with them is that they would actually decide things for their lives in those little circles. And what was happening was the man in the story was going against his culture. His culture called him to get together with other brothers in the faith and talk things through as a part of the kingdom of Israel and make wise decisions together. But what he had found is he had gathered so much wealth in the story that he didn't need anybody else. All he needed was himself. And his temptation was to withdraw from the culture, to withdraw from the community of God around him, to withdraw from the kingdom of God as the kingdom of Israel around him, and simply be a man unto himself, his own island. His temptation was simply to decide his own fate and to enjoy every moment of the surplus that he'd been given by God. In that moment, he became completely alone. He made enough income and enough money and had enough possessions to be able to completely isolate himself. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this a problem of only 2,000 years ago? Or does this problem happen today? It happens today. And in fact, it happens in the church of Jesus Christ. Every single day, we as followers of Jesus, even inside the pen under his protection, we are tempted to be men unto ourselves. We are tempted to be islands on our own. We are tempted to be our own gods, to answer our own counsel, to answer our own life issues and problems. We are tempted to withdraw from God's fellowship and make our lives something that is merely and simply about itself. It's a temptation in front of us every day. And our God with great love does a face palm and says, 
my child, I love you so much. I don't want you to be a God unto yourself, a man unto yourself, a woman unto yourself. I don't want you to be an island unto yourself. I want you to be a person who shares in the community of God and the kingdom of God. I want you instead to be rich toward God. Now, if you look at the end of the parable, there's kind of a scary thought in there. Take a look with me at the end of the scripture. And this is what it says in verse 20. God says to the man, after he has made a decision about how he's going to deal with his wealth, God says to him directly, he says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, the man had isolated himself so much that he didn't even have heirs that he knew anymore. He didn't know who was going to get his wealth after he passed away. He had no relationships with any friends or family. He had so much wealth that he had completely withdrawn. But God said, this very night, the thing that I have given you, your life, will be required of you. Here's what that looks like. The man was tempted to live a life alone, wasn't he? He was tempted to live on his own and take only his own counsel. But in fact, what Jesus was teaching him is culturally speaking, today or back then, doesn't matter, we are not meant to live this life alone. We are not meant to live this life isolated. We are not meant to acquire possessions, wealth, and opportunities so much that we withdraw. We are meant to be a part of a family. And so as the case is, we are meant to live a life that is on loan instead of a life that is alone. Our life is on loan because what happens to a loan if you treat the loan properly? It's paid back, isn't it? Now, let's don't say it this way. Let's don't say that we owe God our lives back in order to earn our salvation. We know that Jesus has won our salvation for us and that he's given it to us as a free gift. Are we agreed on that? If so, say amen. We know that that's true and we teach that every single week here. At the same time, the life that God has saved is meant to be used to grow in the kingdom of God and to grow as a part of the kingdom of God. And so when God comes back and says that life will be demanded of the man, what he's talking about is the idea that someday our lives will return to God. Every single one of us is going to die. Every single one of us will see death in body. But those of us who follow Jesus and trust in him, we know that our souls will never die. Our souls will live on. But the question becomes, do I wait until death to join the kingdom of God? No, I join the kingdom of God when I trust in Jesus. And as a member of the kingdom of God, something happens in my life. My life changes. My life becomes useful in the kingdom. My life becomes something more than a life lived if I were simply living on my own counsel, living only to my own needs and addressing my own needs and to my own ends. 
Here's an idea from the scripture. The apostle Paul writes this. He's talking to the early church and teaching them what life in Christ looks like. He says it this way. He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may what? Have something to share with those in need. Now the implication and the understanding is this. Back then, if you work with your own hands, it means that somebody doesn't have to take care of you. It means that if you work with your own hands, you provide a living for yourself. You're not dependent upon someone else. Now that could be applied to a household here in the United States of America. We live and we work, and that work is called our vocation. It's a gift from God. We use that work in order to earn a paycheck, and then we use that paycheck to do what? To take care of ourselves and our families, right? That is a God-given gift. Yes, we may earn a million dollars a year, but the vocation that we use to earn that million dollars a year is a gift from God. Yes, we may earn $30,000 year, a year. That vocation is a gift from God. Yes, we may earn any manner of numbers of amounts of money in between those two numbers. Whatever that vocation is, it's a gift from God. And it's used to take care of our needs, isn't it? But for a Christ follower, there's also a second reason that we work. And that is right out of the scripture to share with those in need. Now think about that for yourself for a second. The temptation back then for the guy that was trying to use Jesus is the same temptation for you and me. Sometimes we call out to God with the motives that say, God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do this. Sometimes we are tempted to misuse the gifts of God for ourselves. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, plain and simple. What he's doing is he's reminding us why those gifts exist. They exist for two reasons. We earn and we work and we get paid for two reasons. What are they? One, to take care of those we love and to take care of ourselves so we're not dependent on others, right? And the second is simply and only this, to share with those in need. Now, what if you're a giver to the church? Is that giving to those in need? Sure, you could see it that way. Giving to the church is giving to God. It funds things like worship services that we have like this one here, and that meets a need or should meet a need for someone who is in spiritual need, which is every single one of us, isn't it? So that's one application of giving to people who are in need. What are some other applications? What are some other ways you can give to people in need? You can donate to a local food bank. You can donate to organizations that you know are godly organizations and support godly causes. You could donate a dinner to invite your friends and your neighbors over to. Because your neighbors, just like you and me, are in need. A lifestyle change is what Jesus is talking about. It's led by a heart change. That the gifts we have and the things that God gives us, including our abilities to earn, are gifts from God for two purposes. 
And we've talked about those purposes here today. Neither of those purposes has to do with what I can get for me, do they? Neither of those purposes targets what I want for my life, but rather what God would want for my life, which is abundance. Do you see the difference? We are tempted to think of abundance as in how much we have for who? For me. But abundance is actually not that. Abundance is how much God has given me for who? For me and for those that he would reach out to through me. It's a dual purpose, a purpose that works together. Here's where we get that idea. The idea that we've been crucified with Christ and our old lives have gone and our new lives have come. The scripture says, it's no longer I who live, the old I, who would accumulate things and stuff for me and live to my own counsel and to my own ends and to meet my own needs. It is no longer that I who live, that I's gone. But it is Jesus who lives in me. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus dead or alive? Is he dead or alive? He's alive. And if he's alive, he's not alive and separate from you. He's alive in you. And living in you. And through you. And as he lives, the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. Not in our abilities to earn and to accumulate and to gather stuff for ourselves, but by faith. That simply means this. We know who gives us what we have. And we know why. He gives it to us for our use and for the use of others who need to hear from him and feel his love. And the scripture very pointedly says why. Because God loved us and gave himself for us. That's the whole point of the cross. And that's the whole reason why Jesus would tell these cryptic stories, these parables. He wants people to know how the kingdom of God works and how simple it is to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means that we follow Jesus. We follow him in everyday life, which means we know who gives us what we have and we know the reasons for which we receive those gifts, don't we? The good news of Jesus is that God will never fail. He will never leave us. He will never turn his back on us. He will never forsake us. He will never let us fall. He will always hold us and lead us because he lays down his life for us. Remember the imagery of the shepherd at the pen. That is our shepherd, our good shepherd, Jesus. So the question for you and me today is this. When you are tempted to believe that your life stands for its own sake, for your purposes, remember who you are. You're a member of God's family. And remember the reasons for which God gives us the good things that he has. You heard them here today. Will you remember them? For Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to just stop and hear your voice. Every single one of us needs you. And every single one of us needs to hear from you. 
We need to know why we're here and what it is you've ordained this faith for after we come into it. God, when we're baptized and you place the sign of the cross on us and say, that's my child, you've created a brand new life. It's an abundant life, a life that is full. God, I am tempted sometimes to live a life that is less than full. It is a life that is focused on me and my barns and my grain and my plans. God, I ask that you forgive that in the name of Jesus. Wipe it away as far as the east is from the west. Remember who I am in you and help me to remember who I am in you because of Jesus and for his sake. I know that you saved me for a purpose and a reason. And that is to be a member of the kingdom through whom the good news of Jesus comes. God, I trust all this to you and I open myself to you for your pleasure and for your will and because of your great love for me. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.